Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. You can follow all of my written content at legendaryupside.com. And today I am joined by Sean Siegel of rotaviz.com. Rotaviz is where I got my start, and Sean is one of the very best fantasy football analysts of any format. But I especially enjoy talking to him this time of year to get his prospect takes. Sean, you're uh, you're always down for some contrarian takes, so uh, I'm excited to talk to you today. Well, it's fun to to throw a few of those in there. I've got a couple that I put in the rankings that I sent to you that, I mean, probably won't be sustainable after the NFL <laughs> draft. Unless the NFL guys like these players, too. You know, we, we get some out-of-nowhere picks sometimes. But, yeah, I'm really excited, I mean, to be able to, to come on the, the show here. I mean, obviously, a lot of people know you from what transpired recently. But, I mean, you've been one of the best dynasty minds for, you know, a decade so I mean, this is so cool yeah i appreciate that and uh i'm i'm excited to talk to you because you have some work that's going to be coming out on rotaviz uh diving into the, some of the advanced stats on these prospects so um a lot of stuff that you you kind of gave me a, a sneak preview of here for our conversation and it's different than what i've been looking at because you guys have this sis data over at rotaviz um that's a bit different from the type of stuff that I've been looking at, um, kind of a different flavor of similar type of stuff that I've been referencing on Legendary Upside. Uh, and so I figured we'd basically just go through this rookie class, you know, kind of like starting at the top of rookie drafts and kind of move our way down roughly um, and just kind of touch on guys that really jump out is pretty interesting. So I guess, do you want to just touch on these these stats that you're going to be referencing throughout here? Um some of these SIS stats and, and kind of how that data works? Yeah, so we have the Sports Info Solutions that powers a lot of our tools. So some subscribers will recognize the Advanced Stat Explorer, the Advanced Team Stat Explorer, some cool things that Dave Cabin has put together for the professional level, you know, in-season stats, great stuff. We're going to have a lot of that content with the prospect stuff over, you know, the next couple of weeks before the draft. And then as we look post-draft, trying to put the big picture together for rookie drafts. And the thing that I think is important to kind of understand right off the bat if you're if you've been mostly looking at these stats through the lens of pff is that sis is a little bit tighter in their definition of routes which means then of course the yard per route numbers are going to be higher fewer routes same number of yards they're also a little bit less generous in giving out broken and forced missed tackles so you're going to look at that together as an evasion rate that number will be a little bit lower than what maybe you're used to seeing in a different format. So it's going to be eternally consistent, as you mentioned to me before the show. The players are going to still come in in the same type of ranks as they would yeah. otherwise. But and it's great, too, I think, to get some different flavors here and to get some different charting. Obviously, both groups have a phenomenal product. And so even, I mean, if there are some little uh, contrasts at different points, you know, that could be interesting, too, because you get just a little bit more information. So... Anyway, I, I'm excited to chat with you about it because there's some cool stuff in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and one thing I'll just mention in terms of yards per route run as well, if you're not familiar with like college yards per route run, it's generally at, at the wide receiver position, you'll see like guys, you know, in the PFF stuff that have yards per route run of like four, <laughs> which is not something you really ever see at, you know, the NFL level. Uh, it can be a bit higher. Um, so, and I also... I, I tend to look at the yards per route run for running backs quite a bit, as you'll you'll have noticed if you've 
checked out my stuff on Legendary Upside. Um, I like to reference that quite a bit just to kind of get a sense of the guys who have receiving upside at the pro level. So that takes us to Jameer Gibbs. We're not going to spend too much time on Bijan Robinson. He is the clear 101, I think. But Jameer Gibbs, the running back two in this class, I would say consensus running back two. There are some people who really like Zach Charbonnet, but even those people I think are waiting until the NFL draft to to maybe put Charbonnet ahead of Jameer Gibbs and take their stand. Because I think, you know, if you're going to do that, you really do want to make sure the draft capital is behind you there with Charbonnet. Um, Gibbs, though, I think they're, although most people would have him as running back too, not everyone's that excited about him. It's just that, that it's not that strong of a running back class at the top. You have him as your running back too and ahead in these rankings you sent over of all three quarterbacks. So I would say you're very excited about him and you reference his really strong yards per route run uh, over his career at both um, Alabama and uh, Georgia Tech, right? Yeah, Georgia Tech. So uh, he, you know, consistently efficient as a receiver. Uh, Why do you like Gibbs so much? Well, the first part of it is that I'm just a sucker for the smaller running backs. And I know that, that brings some risks to the table. But I mean, if you look back over the history of zero RB, for example, and trying to figure out ways to get value and not have to pay maybe for all the broken tackles, you can go to the smaller guys who are really electric. So I mean, you reach, you know, almost a decade back and you get guys like Chris Johnson and obviously Jamal Charles, you have Ray Rice, who it gets lost, but somebody who, you know, at peak was, you know, outscoring Adrian Peterson at the same time. And, and then, he came in sub 200 pounds. He was like 190 something pounds, maybe 95, 99, something like that. Yeah, um, and some of these guys go from like, weight. yeah, like 190, you know, like exactly like you said, 198, 199, and then end up 205 to 210. Yeah, uh, but but they can come in right around that 200. And then you look most recently, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler. I mean, you're you're getting huge seasons from the small guys as the big guys. And we know that Saquon Barkley came in as this um, you know, legendary upside running back. And yet, unfortunately, after the rookie year, it didn't really pan out exactly as everyone had hoped. You've had injuries for Christian McCaffrey as well. But you look at the scoring levels that you can get from some of the small guys, and I think that sometimes that can get lost. And so for me, Gibbs actually isn't that far behind Robinson, even though obviously a lot smaller doesn't have the crazy evasion rate overall. And I mean, the other problem that you, you have a little bit there is that when you're talking about somebody ahead of the, the quarterbacks, maybe somebody who has a, a shot to be a Christian McCaffrey or Austin Eckler type of player, probably closer to Eckler than, than obviously Pete Christian McCaffrey, you'd still like to have seen him gain more total yards in college and be an even bigger rushing threat. But the things that he did do, and you mentioned the yards per route, I mean, crazy numbers at Georgia Tech, you know, 3.8 or higher uh, in both of those seasons. And then he goes to Alabama and actually has to be the driver of the passing offense in some ways and still is above two on 54 targets. So when you play against more difficult competition, the target numbers get really high. Can you still maintain the efficiency? And he does. And then he's a 4.36 guy. And so yeah. when you're talking about run to daylight, you need to have that speed. And as soon as I saw that speed, I'm like, I, I just, I can't get away from it. I absolutely love this guy. Well, I'm sure you've heard Travis May has, has talked about how he compares him to Jamal Charles. So is that, is that why he's up here? You heard that comp and you had to put him number three in your, your overall ranks. 
Well, it's funny because I mean I've actually moved Gibbs down from two wow. because JSN is just so incredible. But I already have Gibbs up as one of the top running backs in my overall dynasty rankings. Unless he gets hit, and you know, you you go to one of these offenses where they just really want to have two or three guys, and then they don't really want to pass it to the running backs. And I think listeners so know some of the higher profile teams where that would apply. You could get hit with a landing spot that does eliminate a lot of the upside, but unless he gets hurt and all of these guys have a really high injury risk and they have shorter careers, that's a huge issue as you rank them related to the quarterbacks. But I mean, if he can stay healthy, he's going to lead the NFL in running back receptions multiple times. And, And that's where you get all those fantasy points from. Where are you at with him on best ball in best ball? Because he's going, you know, not super high, like a fifth, sixth type of range. Um, I guess more fifth. And, you know, I like Gibbs a lot, but it is harder for me to see him being, you know, one of these guys you absolutely had to have, especially over the course of an entire season. You know, because even when you look at like Christian McCaffrey, he didn't have a great rookie season. It was a good rookie season, but he didn't turn into this incredible fantasy back until his second year, Austin Eckler, bit of a different situation. I mean, he had to pass Melvin Gordon, but he didn't break out really until his third season. You know, some of these backs like Ray Rice was basically a complete afterthought as, as a rookie big breakout in his second year. It wouldn't shock me if he's both an elite fantasy back and doesn't do a ton as a rookie. And you are having to pay up at least somewhat for him. I mean, I think at like a fifth round price tag, he can kind of, be whatever and then crush down the stretch and you're very glad you took him but it does it strikes me like as a little thin uh i've mixed him in but he's not like a like a major target for me in in best ball where are you out on him you know for redraft i like him there i i have forgotten to draft him on a number of occasions when i'm right in that range (laughs) and and really want him last year I had Brees Hall in every single draft and kept telling people, well, I'm going to pull back on that exposure because he's going to get more expensive. I won't. He never did. He never did. And so, and then it becomes a very sad story because he gets hurt. But, but I mean, he was arguably it. the best pick in best ball last year. So, I mean, I, had he not been injured, he would have. Yeah. I think so. But <laughs> impossible for us to say now. And you look at Gibbs. One of the things that just you have a little bit of question of is if, the half PPR will neutralize some of it. Now, I mean, I know somebody who is is very glad they had Austin Eckler. I mean, the half the the receiving backs can still score and win for you in those formats. I think that I, I mean, I'm still going to have a lot of him there. I do think that he'll get more expensive, but it really is going to depend on landing spot because even I mean, you mentioned some of those other guys. Jamal Charles was behind somebody he shouldn't have been behind, and it, yeah, it can be that second year when you see the real fantasy dividends. Yeah. I've kind of done the same thing with Gibbs that you were doing with Hall where, um, you know, I was like, he's going to get more expensive. And I actually do worry about chasing him up boards. Like I think, you know, if he were to go in the late third or the, even the early fourth, I'd be like, this feels expensive for kind of more of a year two breakout profile. Um, So I've, I have kind of made a point to take, more of him than I think I would have. Like, I want to be overweight on him at a fifth round cost with the idea that he may move up in price. And I think he, you know, if he goes in the first round, which is very plausible, he will go up in price. So, um, 
I think like reservations aside, it makes sense to be overweight on him at his current ADP right now. Let's talk Jackson Smith and Jigba because he's up to number two in your ranks. Another guy who is not consensus. I mean, the debate with most people is like, do we really put Bijan Robinson ahead of these running backs and super flex or ahead of these quarterbacks and super flex? And you're like, yes. And we put Jameer Gibbs and we put uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba ahead of them as well. Uh, I'll talk to you in a minute here about the quarterback class. And, and, you know, maybe if you're just a bit lower on these guys, but JSN is someone that I've been kind of defending, I guess, because I, you know, he gets tagged as this slot receiver, but my feeling is like, he's a slot receiver the way CD lambs, a slot receiver. I don't think he's coming off the field in two wide receiver sets. Um, when I had JJ Zacharyson on, he was making the point that he's going to get drafted high enough that anyone who takes him isn't is going to basically feel the same way. You know, they're not going to be like, yeah, he's super limited. That's why we took him at like the 12th pick. Uh, so I'm not really worried about that part of the evaluation with him. I don't care if he's playing in the slot a lot, if he's running a route on 95% of dropbacks. Like that just doesn't matter to me. But uh I also would be nervous, I think, about having him ahead of some of these quarterbacks just because it, does he have the ceiling of, you know, could could he be kind of like a, a Jefferson, you know, level, maybe a hair lower than Jefferson? Like, because that's kind of the level you want to be at if you're taking him over these quarterbacks, just given their, their resale value, the very long-term value that they have, right? Right, that very long-term value. I think that the receiving position also – lends itself to that a lot more than running back. And so the thing that's interesting about the different right. positions is that they all have different strengths and weaknesses with the running backs to get that monster value. You've got to get them as a rookie, play them for a couple of years and get out as fast as you possibly can before the trade value craters. For the quarterbacks, you're hoping that they can play deep into their 30s. But for the receivers, you have such a long period of time where they're scoring at their peak and then you can still trade them at close to peak trade value which is something that i think is just really really important mm -hmm. so then and, and you know your personal experiences with some of these things can influence it too even if you know like a handful of personal experiences don't invalidate the big picture but you know i think back to a couple of years ago where i got a lot of jamar chase at 106 because mm -hmm. of Najee harris and the quarterbacks going ahead of him and I mean, to me, he was the best player in that draft and the wide receiver position holding that value. If you get that, then you know, you're just excited for years and years and years. And one of the things, if you draft the QBs early, which we'll get to in a second, but it actually pushes some of these guys down to teams that are a little better where you don't want them to go. I mean, you almost need to take them defensively in a certain way, I think. But the player has to be there. And so when you're looking at him, for me, it's not the playing in the slot because, as you said, the team that drafts him is going to get him the ball. And in part, that's what Ohio State was doing with playing him there is figuring out how to get the guy that they think is the best player. And you're talking about the best player over Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave? I mean, that's insane, right? They're trying to get him the ball, but it's the one season, and that would be the, like the tiny little red flag. But when we're looking at these receivers and how you evaluate the receivers, you really want to have just some monster raw production you want to have the good efficiency numbers. You want the player to do it early and then be young when they enter the NFL. If they're athletic, that's kind of a cherry on top. Going back through the SIS numbers on these guys, the only similar sort of sophomore or junior season 
yard per route numbers come from Devontae Smith, T. Higgins, and CeeDee Lamb. I mean, pretty good company. Yeah. So <sighs> after we've seen what Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave did, and th- and and knowing that yeah. there's a very real chance that he could be better, and if if he's just the same, that would be still fine. When you're looking at making a safe pick that's going to vow that's going to benefit you for a long long time and then the thing in addition there i mean you're talking about maybe he doesn't have the long speed of some of these other guys and that is important you want the player to be able to catch and go and when i'm looking at running backs or wide receivers i want there to be at least the possibility of some long touchdowns that are sprinkled in maybe you don't even get them in any given year but you want that jonathan taylor where there is a year out there where there are a bunch of them Maybe he doesn't have that, but this is a guy with a three cone identical to Christian McCaffrey. I mean, when McCaffrey runs a route, is he immediately <laughs> wide open off the line of scrimmage every single time? I, I just don't see how NFL defenders are going to be able to cover this guy. Yeah, it is pretty exciting because um, I think he he does offer a path to being like an Amon Ross St. Brown type where he's just racking up volume underneath. But I also think that's not like his only path that he could be, you know, a little bit more of an intermediate threat you know, getting like a third of his routes from the outside, or, you know, maybe it's only a a quarter of his routes from the outside. But again, I don't think he's leaving the field. So he's definitely exciting to me, but I tend to, I tend to like want to play it a little safer and get my quarterbacks. This is a little bit of a tough class though, because I think the two, the two quarterbacks that are most interesting to me, both have pretty significant red flags. Bryce Young, I really like. Uh, and Anthony Richardson, I really like, but both of them have pretty significant red flags. Richardson's is bigger. We'll get to him in a minute, but young, you have, um, as your, your fourth player here, his red flag obviously is his size. Uh, but like when I was looking at his profile, I mean, he does look like one of these pocket passers that you want to be pretty heavily invested in, in super flex to me. And it's like, is the size going to severely impact his NFL outlook? Well, it seems like maybe he's the number one pick now. That's the, been the buzz recently. Uh, you know, him going ahead of Stroud at number one. I actually kind of would prefer him to fall to the Texans. I think that coaching staff might be a little bit better for him. But either way, the NFL does, that, does not actually seem very worried about the size. So I guess I'm like, should, then why should I be? Um, he's not going to be much of a rusher, but he does scramble and he's a playmaker. So I think we're going to get some exciting uh, plays from Young. And he also seems like the kind of guy, because he is such a good decision maker, that he could be the he could be the leader of a very high-volume passing offense You know, in a couple years. He's not necessarily going to be like managed. Um, now, again, the size is a bit of a concern there, because are they worried about protection and stuff? And, you know, see, are they limiting his passing attempts to keep him healthy? But... I do see like a ceiling with him just as a pure passer, but it seems like you, you have him pretty close to Stroud. I do. You're, you're looking at him as, as a very possible like 15 years of Drew Brees kind of guy. Yeah. I, I mean, that's his, his ceiling. And I think that, if he did that, then he would be a no-brainer pick at the 101. One of the things, I mean, obviously we can't know until we see some of these things happen. Looking through the info on it, I just these players are so clean, both Stroud and Young, in terms of all the different passing metrics. One of the things that Travis had done for us in the past was do some cool stuff where he adjusted for play action and jet motion. 
I, I did it in a, just a simpler fashion where you can use the screens to take some of those plays out. Whether you include all the plays, whether you take those plays out, and these guys have crazy numbers and adjusted net yards per attempt, points above average per play, EP per play, they look great in the IQR, which is you know just an SIS efficiency metric that takes a bunch of their extra charting information into account. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of cool when you're thinking, okay, well, strength of competition, pressure, all of those types of, of elements, these guys are just super, super clean. And so from that perspective, I think that you can have the confidence that, that, I mean, anybody can bust, but these guys are much less likely. One of the things in terms of drafting QBs, and I was going to put together an article myself, but then I ran across one from our buddy Warren Sharp that was just fantastic, talking about just how risky the first-round quarterbacks have been. I think that in part, we feel like we can pick out the guys who are going to be busts right from the beginning because they weren't as good of prospects and teams have be overdrafted them because of need. These two players don't feel like that. And... Yet at the same time, I guess I'm just a little bit more of the late round quarterback guy. And so you and I had a, a fun, interesting conversation the other day when we were looking to trade for the 102 potentially in a big RV triflex draft that we uh, have at the FFPC. And we were like, well, it, making this trade will depend on on who we have as the 102. And I'm like, well, I have Gibbs and JSN there. And you're like, I've got two quarterbacks there. So maybe we, we better shoot for something else. When you look at the players who I think really give you that elite value, I, I still think it's mostly Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Josh Allen is this crazy unicorn that I don't think that you're going to get hardly ever. Patrick Mahomes is probably the greatest quarterback of all time. Beyond those guys, we really need the rushing ability and the injury levels, the carnage at that position, how poorly the rushing QBs appear to be aging. And, a lot of the guys are still fairly young. So that I think could flip back in two years from now. It may have been kind of the situation where if you had bought on all of those players today, you'd be really happy. The problem is just they're actually still really expensive, even right. though they have all these problems now. So then that pushes you back to, well, maybe I should draft the college QBs and, and get these guys, especially prospects like Stroud and Young. I just don't think that they're going to run the ball. And if you don't run the ball, you're going to have to be just absolutely amazing to make a difference. And even someone like a Justin Herbert, who I think is amazing, can easily have a variety of seasons where he doesn't really do anything for you. And so from that perspective, I guess I'm just a little bit lower on them. I'm still having them at four and five. And it really is behind three guys that I absolutely love. I think that in different drafts, JSN or Gibbs, not that I, you don't get the impression that the current perspective is that they would be the 101 in many of the drafts in the last 10 years. I'm higher on them and think that they should be the 101 in a lot of those drafts. So that's why I have these QBs down. But I mean, like you said, how clean they are as passing prospects is really encouraging. Yeah. And I tend to be more on the young side of this than the Stroud side, just because he does seem to to me have more potential as like a truly special passer again we do like you're taking on more risk because he's he's very small i mean he was above 200 at the combine but like he didn't play above 200 uh he probably he probably won't play above 200 at the nfl so it's you know that you are really taking on some risk but i think to your point about you know shooting for upside still at the quarterback position 
I I want to take on a little bit of the risk if it comes with a higher ceiling. And to me, Young does have a higher ceiling than Stroud. I mean, even Stroud's like backers are basically saying like he could be a slightly better Kirk Cousins. <laughs> like cool. <laughs> I don't know. He just he actually doesn't feel as appealing to me. I think Mike Renner compared him to Desmond Ritter as a runner, meaning like yeah, he can run. Like he has the physical ability to run, but he he didn't run in college. Like he really did not. He didn't scramble, which is something Kevin Cole has looked at as being kind of a signal. Like that's a tendency. If you scramble, it's like generally says something about the quarterback. And he did not scramble. Um, and he didn't really add much with his legs outside of, you know, a couple big runs. So again, not that he couldn't. And we've seen fields turn into much more run in the NFL than he was in college. Um and, you know, maybe there's a similar thing there where it's like, well, you don't need to run at Ohio State. You have so many good wide receivers to throw to. You know, maybe Stroud does turn into a true dual threat at the NFL level. But I also think people are a little bit more – they're higher on his passing ability as a pro. So it's like you'd almost want him to be a slightly worse passer if you're projecting him to become this Justin Fields-type NFL rusher when he didn't have that resume in college. So Stroud has been kind of – He's just not quite as exciting to me because I think his passing doesn't seem special, but it seems good enough to keep him from running all the time. Um, whereas I think Young, like he had Daniel Jeremiah accidentally leaked on around the NFL that Bryce Young uh, had the highest S2 cognition score, which is like this pattern recognition thing that apparently a lot of scouts put some weight into. Um, and like from everything I've heard about, you know, pocket presence, decision making, he seems to be basically off the charts. Yeah, like all the intangible stuff, he's off the charts. And in the numbers, I think he looks like a bit of a better prospect to me. So I'm kind of excited about Bryce Young just as like, you know, maybe being like more the Burrow thing where it's like, yeah, he's a pocket passer, but he's so good at it. And he wouldn't be Burrow exactly. I think he'd be more Breeze to your point. But he he definitely is exciting to me. Anthony Richardson, though, like when I plug him in numbers wise and I built my quarterback model to like just just give me the guys who are good for fantasy. I'm not I'm not like I'm not a GM. I just need fantasy points here. Richardson pops. I mean Richardson really pops. You know, and accuracy's in there. The accuracy's definitely in the in the model, but you know, and he scores extremely low in that part of it. But I mean, he was potentially underutilized as a rusher. And uh Kyle Dvorak was comparing his athleticism to Derrick Henry's. You know, so if you have like Der Derrick Henry who can pass the ball, seems like a pretty good fantasy prospect to me. Uh, I'm surprised a, li a little bit that you don't have him in the mix with these other two quarterbacks because not only do you have him behind them, but you have another wide receiver above Anthony Richardson. So come on, Sean, are, are we shooting for upside or not? Yeah, upside, but <laughs> Anthony Richardson is not going to be an NFL quarterback. And wow. Position change? He's the next Matt Jones? Well, I mean, you could get something like that because you have, I mean, if you had Anthony Richardson on your team, you're going to play him somewhere. He just, the level of athleticism is so ridiculous. And one of the things that people have mentioned that also jumped out to me when I was looking through the, the numbers there is that 3.8% sack percentage despite a 38% pressure percentage. I mean, if you're willing to you know, not take these huge negative plays that could help you stay on the field a little bit longer while you're learning how to do some of the things. But again, we remove some of those sort of boosting numbers or boosting plays, then as opposed to the previous two guys that you talked about, 
I mean, Richardson's numbers are, are catastrophic. I mean, you're talking about a 49% completion percentage, 59% on target, 5, 5.2 adjusted net yards per attempt. Mm. It, it, it's bad. And so he's also very young. And so that on the positive side, Blaren just put out our NFL draft age database, obviously always fun to, to look at there. We know that these young guys, but it just seems like having one more. Now this probably isn't the case from a draft perspective, because it looks like he's going to go extremely early, but, and, and you can develop at the NFL level, but it's, he seems like a guy who fantasy managers are going to have to wait on in the same way that, the reality team probably has to wait on him. And one of the things that I think that you can probably do is play some of these other guys who are going to be drafted in the first round and then make a move on him after some concerns arise, because it would just be very, I mean, it'd be shocking if he goes out there and he's actually good right away. The players that he tends to be compared to, because I mean, you want to see that from a Lamar Jackson or a Cam Newton. I mean, those guys are just completely different players so much better in really every possible way. And you see that in the numbers, you see that in the wins. One of the things I think is actually a positive for Anthony Richardson is that there basically are no comps. And I mean, the person who almost like comes to mind the most for me would be Jake Locker, which obviously is not positive, but Jake Locker was a terrible player for a long time in college, which you don't have the track record for with Richardson. And then despite being a crazy athlete, he's still not anything like Richardson. There's nobody like him. And so we really have no idea what he's going to do. That's both a positive and a negative. I, I really like to use the first round picks on guys that I think are going to be superstars and then move around and maybe add some of these quarterbacks later. It's a little bit of a different quarterback philosophy thing as well. I guess I'm just terrified by what he's done in the past. And it's probably also just a tiny little philosophical thing too, where I, I like to see the players who have proven that they are awesome get rewarded in the reality draft. And then, I mean, obviously I'm trying just to win my fantasy leagues, but I do try and stack them with players who I feel like were really good and deserve, you know, deserve some of those opportunities. Well, so, okay. So Richardson, you know, not the prospect that Lamar Jackson was, I agree, but Lamar Jackson didn't have his, you know, epic breakout season until his second year. Do you think, you know, where Jackson, when Jackson came in as a rookie, he was like pretty limited in terms of what he was like basically allowed to do. You know, he had a maximum of 25 passing attempts in any of his games, um, basically between 19 and 25 passing attempts once he came in in week 11. Uh, but he was, he was pretty uh, efficient. Um and he rushed a bunch. He rushed 26 times in week 11 of his rookie year. He rushed at least 10 times in every game uh, from week 11 on. He again hit 20 rushes in week 17. Um, that's sort of the type of outcome that I think would be somewhat realistic for Richardson. Now, maybe he's not as efficient as Jackson was as a passer, but Jackson actually wasn't very efficient. He only he, he maxed out at 204 yards. In one game as a rookie, he he threw for just two touchdowns uh, as his max. He only did that once. He threw for zero touchdowns three different times. So it was very much like a rushing only profile. And at the same time, like I think it was pretty 
pretty usable. So I, I guess I would kind of push back on the idea that like you're going to be able to come back and get Richardson later because I think I think Richardson's I guess it's somewhat landing spot dependent. Like if he were to go to the Raiders or something, I'd be a little nervous that they wouldn't use him the way I'd like. But if he goes to the Colts, you know, I think Shane Steichen knows how to use a Russian quarterback. And I think he's going to run him a lot. And, you know, at over 240 pounds, I think he's going to hold up to being, you know, I think he can handle like 15 rushes a game. So I guess that's the part I would push back on is not that he's going to be an incredibly raw passer, which I agree with you about, but that there's going to be this buy window after the year if he lands with a coaching staff who's not like just got their heads completely up their asses. The landing spot is going to matter a lot because as you say, the team has to be all in on basically not doing any of the things that NFL teams want to do. And (laughs) You think about, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think about how amazing RG three was and how angry Kyle Shanahan was the whole time. Right. I mean, you need a you need a coach who is excited about that and excited about that for the long term. Which which he may find. I mean, the, you would hope that the team that actually does draft him that high is going to find it. I think that the difference between Jackson and Richardson, beyond just how good they are, is that the Ravens didn't know what they had, and teams in general, I think, didn't believe in right. unlocking the ability that way whereas because we've had a variety of teams with both Lamar Jackson and then you look at what Jalen Hurts did last season there there might be we we might have gone so far the other direction that teams feel like they can unlock that from players that have a lot of weaknesses that just really do make it very difficult to run an NFL offense I agree with you about that I mean Jackson should have been the guy that you know is in discussion for one of the top picks in this you know, in his class, as opposed to going at the very end of the of the first round. I mean, they took Hayden Hurst ahead of ahead of Lamar Jackson. You know, we talk about how they took uh, Mark Andrews in the third round and Hayden Hurst in the first. That's goofy. They drafted Hayden Hurst ahead of Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, Lamar Jackson represents even though it was what twenty seventeen, he represents a different era in NFL quarterback evaluation. I think uh, so. So, I do agree with you that and Richard. Richardson probably in in that even four years ago was a, probably second round pick, right? So uh, maybe even a third. Uh, they drafted Hayden Hurst when Hurst was already past his peak. <laughs> yeah, what the heck, man? Yeah, um, I I think man Richardson is fun though. It, I, it's like, what about Trey Lance as a as a potential comp? And that's obviously who knows what kind of comp I'm even saying that is. It, it might be a huge downside comp, but but Lance a little bit more accurate than Richardson, but, you know, not an accomplished passer uh, came from this, this system where, you know, they got to kind of be front running the whole time. Uh, he took sacks at a higher rate than Richardson. He doesn't have this incredible sack avoidance that Richardson does, but I would say a slightly better passer. Um, and Richardson, I think might be like a, a more natural runner, but, but Lance was also very athletic Um and profiled as a as a pretty high upside rusher. So does he? Do you th- or do you think Richardson's even below kind of the the Lance ballpark as a passer? I think he's probably below. But that was another comp I was going to kind of throw in, but I didn't want to. You didn't want to trigger of... the listeners. Well, it's <laughs> yeah. The, but the, <laughs> the part of it that I think is very meaningful is that you just have no idea what the yeah. player is going to actually be like. Because as you mentioned for Lance, you have this extremely good athlete who 
if he actually developed as a passer, could be an elite passer too. And yet you're talking about doing that at the NFL level when it hasn't been proven. And you contrast that, like you said, with guys like Bryce Young. It just... There's a... I think, again, it's going to come down to how you like to build your team and what risks you like to take and what risky players you like to have on your bench. If you like to have risky QBs there and you like to have a lot of the trade value that your roster represents because I mean so much of what you're doing when you're building a team does come back to how much trade value you have do you want that to be heavily concentrated in quarterbacks who have these injury risks especially for the rushing guys and do you want it to be concentrated in unproven players albeit with massively winning upside or do you want it to be allocated a little bit differently I liked Lance and but didn't end up actually drafting him in Dynasty. Now we know the best ball story from last year. <laughs> that is pretty traumatizing. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean one of the things with Lance is we just we still really don't know. Although right. the fact that San Francisco does not seem excited about him kind of makes you think that they know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that Lance probably is a downside comp in the sense that he did not play as a as a rookie. Uh looked it has looked pretty bad whenever we've seen him. It's a very limited sample. I don't mean to start Trey Lance debates. I've already uh, been been low enough on Trey Lance that everyone's angry at me this year anyway. But um, I've be- I've betrayed my my Trey Lance truthers, and they don't like it. Uh, but I mean, you know that that would definitely be like Richardson goes to the Lions. He sits behind Goff. They try to play him over Goff. They don't feel good about it. Jordan Love maybe would be kind of a similar type of outcome that i think is plausible like it, he's he's so That's wrong the other that, name too that i was thinking but i i mean you don't want to necessarily throw those names in and make people feel like okay well now you're just throwing names in to make it look bad but i think that that is a re- realistic concern even though that now the packers actually seem pretty excited about love almost the opposite from what you're getting with lance right yeah no i think those names are like very fair and i and i like richardson but like he is, I think you got to go with eyes wide open if you're taking Richardson. Like he is a an extremely raw passer. The reason you're you're drafting him, if you are, is because he is the most athletic quarterback that we've ever seen, ever. So it's like, and and so I do think landing spot is is pretty massive. I I really want a coach who's like, yeah, I get what I have here, and I'm and I'm excited about it. Um, but let's, we talk about different eras here, you know, it's different, different era of quarterback evaluation. It's a different era of Rotoviz because in Rotoviz 2013, Quentin Johnston would not be eighth in your ranks. The big bodied wide receiver, good after the catch. Quentin Johnston is like, you know, we, we'd be, who was the guy, who was the guy fantasy douche was so big on? Um, I'm blanking. There's like some big bodied wide receiver. It'll come to me later, but you know, this, this is like always been kind of wrote of as his thing, but you have Johnston as your wide receiver three. You have Jordan Addison ahead of Anthony Richardson, obviously ahead of Johnson as well. So pretty, you your tier that you sent over here says, you know, that they're in the same tier. If you have one above Anthony Richardson and one behind, you have them in a different tier, Sean. So I actually think you're making a statement here with your Addison <laughs> over Johnston rank. That one is tricky. I, I guess... I'm a little bit surprised that both of these guys are not generating 
more enthusiasm. Now, uh, they're both expected to go in the first round. You do occasionally see Johnston fall. And I think that Johnston is probably a bigger concern for the scouts because you have things like an extremely poor, like 72% on target catch rate in 2021. Now I got better in 2022 again, but still not fantastic. And you have people who want to see him basically be the greatest player of all time, basically be Calvin Johnson, even though obviously he's not that size, but you look at his stats and you go and watch and people want to see big plays from these players. And Justin is just a highlight reel constantly goes up and makes extraordinary plays. The run after the catch for someone of his size. Yeah. I mean, eight is too low, too low. So I probably have to make some adjustments here. Oh no. But I just talked that, you into raising. I talked you into lowering Richardson in your ranks, didn't I? That's what happened. <laughs> Oh no. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's easy to see some of the like long runs after maybe he's forced a, a missed tackle and say, okay, well, that's just still the one play. But he has three seasons where his broken tackles plus missed tackles per reception is above 0.4, which I mean, those are through the roof numbers. And you're talking about that for a guy who's 6'3, 208 has a 40 inch vertical. I mean, yeah, if he had run a four, three, five and been Julio Jones, then you'd be even more excited. Well, I wouldn't have a number eight for one thing, but the things that he has done well here. And then when you look at the number of routes that he actually ran, uh, I mean, he has three consecutive good seasons in that department. And then he added extra yards in terms of defensive pass interference. This is a guy, I guess I'm not understanding well, there isn't more like top 10 buzz mm. because that would make it easier for me to, to elevate him a little bit there too. Yeah. I think the, the issue that I've had with him is that, you know, he saw a lot of contested deep targets and then he did not have a good contested catch rate on those deep targets. And then he didn't test very well. So I'm like, does he get separation downfield? And you know, is he going to struggle to get separation downfield in the NFL? And that's, you know, he's kind of in a bucket of guys that have not done very, like kind of in the Denzel Mims, J.J. Ortega, Whiteside type of group. T. Higgins in that group too, but T. Higgins was awesome in contested catch situations and has continued to be awesome in contested catch situations as a pro. His separation is kind of still whatever, you know? So I think that that's the thing that concerns me about Johnston, but the yards after catch is why I'm still like kind of in, is because uh, Mike Renner was was comping him to a bigger Brandon Ayuk. And that makes a lot of intuitive sense to me. Like he has that exact same kind of downfield yards after catch ability. Like it's not like a yards after catch. It's not a LaVisca Chenault type thing where, you know, it's like you got to throw the underneath stuff and then it's, then it's Asa LaVisca, you know, instead it's, he, he catches the ball, you know, 15 yards downfield and then he's going to, then he's going to take it the rest of the way. He's it's a bit more of a, you know, kind of a traditional wide receiver skill set. And I think he'd be pretty exciting. Like, in Houston, you know, if he's going to be, you know, if if he did kind of have more of that top 10-ish buzz, but it seems like maybe Houston, if they're going to take a wide receiver with their second first round pick, it, it would be JSN at this point. It's, it's like the NFL draft capital seems to be moving away from Johnston in a way that I also find somewhat concerning. Um, and he's kind of falling maybe more to that end of the first round. My issue with him is like, if he ends up with like 
you know, a quarterback is just going to kind of like chuck it up to him and and have him make plays. I don't know that he he's going to win that way. Devontae Parker is a name that came up as a comp for me statistically. And that one, that's like one of those comps where I was like, oh, no, like that. That actually makes a lot of sense. You know, Parker was a guy who also, you know, was kind of dominant in college, but has not really done it as a pro and doesn't get a lot of separation. He's not bad, but he's just never been able to to become a superstar because he's just not it just doesn't separate that well um but johnson if he's in a system that's you know like if he was there if he if tyree kill left and then he went to miami or something and we get him in that type of system you know i'm i'm pretty excited because of that yards after catch ability and you mentioned the potential for him to struggle with separation a little bit i think that that shows up possibly in the fact that he never posted this kind of massive season in just in terms of the raw yards like we get from a Jordan Addison and you would have expected TCU to to use him even more than they did if they thought that he was at that level and yet there are just so many flashes of a guy who has a little bit of that AJ Brown ability to be good before the catch elite after the catch and i mean even though the nfl is definitely moving in a direction that's favorable for the smaller wide receivers especially when there aren't that many great options in terms of bigger wide receivers from this class to choose from but then i mean when you look at where the fantasy points at the highest end are still generally coming from i mean you want some of these bigger guys and so for 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 me, he has a, just a massively wide range of outcomes, and I think that's both the positive and the negative there. I think he has a genuinely massive wide range of outcomes because sometimes people will say that when they're like, I'm kind of out, and I just want to basically say he has a low floor without getting yelled at. But I like legit think he has a very wide range of outcomes, and I think we want to approach drafts with that in mind, like figure out where you can get him the cheapest. You know, I think he's he's going – behind Addison now in best ball drafts and at a, at a range where if he is a yards after catch downfield star, he's going to smash his ADP. So I think you want to be right now overweight in best ball. And I don't think he's like, yeah, he could slip in the draft, but like if he slips, there's probably not that much of a difference if he's like an early second round pick compared to, you know, the 25th pick or whatever. I think we've already starting to see his ADP bacon the fact that he's unlikely now to be the first wide receiver taken when it looked like he could be, you know, in February. Um, so I think you want a little bit, I mean, this is a little bit more of a narrative type of thing too, but I mean, you look at the guy and where he shows up that I do think is at least fun, if not maybe that meaningful, but TCU was not a great team. They were not a team that should have gotten anywhere near the national championship game. I mean, they, he had to make, a great catch that I still am not convinced that he got a foot down in against my Kansas Jayhawks, which I mean, <laughs> KU had a, a great season, a, a renaissance season, but they're still, a, I mean, not really even a top 25 football team for them to win there. And then they had to have all of these late comebacks and close victories against a big 12 schedule. That's probably not that hard, which, you know, you could look at as a negative. And then the game where, you know, you've got to get through that semifinal in order to get humiliated in the championship game. And not that he was incredibly consistent across that stretch, but there were a huge number of big plays that he made to allow them to win games that 
I, I think that even if it's not hugely meaningful, you do like to see that in a player that you're going to add to your team where they're coming through with big plays and some big moments. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense because the thing you'd worry about with him a little bit, not to the level of like a guy like Zay Flowers, you know, but it's like, is he the best of bad options? You know, because it's not it's not the JSN thing where you have the absolutely off the charts teammate competition. And if it's, if, you know, if you're seeing him do it um, in big spots and big games, I think that matters to some extent. Let's talk. Uh, so I, I promised some contrarian opinions here. And, you know, we've had some, I guess they've been somewhat contrarian. Let's get to a real contrarian opinion. You have Israel Abanacanda ranked ahead of Zach Charbonnet. I do. I thought that you would like that one. I, I loved. <laughs> Is that just for me? Are you doing I love, your rankings to get that, me going? I love the Izzy <laughs> article um, from you. Where, yeah. I, although I, I was a little put out. Even though, again, you look at some of the advanced stats for Trey Sermon, and they're actually good. You would have expected him to do a little better for the 49ers than he did. I didn't necessarily appreciate that uh, athletic comp because they're (laughs) so different in speed. But, (laughs) yeah, so this is one where I'm going to throw out the fact that he has. I said said faster Trey Sermon would have probably been good. That wasn't enough? That didn't make up for it? Well, <laughs> so you were mad I mentioned Trey Sermon in, in the article. <laughs> you're, not, you're not even speaking to me anymore. So my, my question for you would be, I mean, can we get this as sort of Brees Hall 2.0 where people don't like the look of the way that he runs, don't like the fact that he's so athletic that he doesn't even need to break tackles in order to gain all the yardage. So, I mean, the two things that jump out to me here, and it does, I mean, you have to ignore some other information that maybe is counter, but when you're talking about the most athletic back in the class and the youngest back in the class, who just had a huge season in terms of just the production that a team needs, which is gaining a bunch of yards. So I really like that. My drafting philosophy basically across all formats is to get as much running back athleticism as possible and then play the guys who are the actual stars. So one, one thing that maybe is a a concern, I was looking at Dane Brugler's um, evaluation of Abanacanda and he has him as a third to fourth round grade. So it's not like he's out um, on him at all, but um, you know, not as high as we are. And he was saying that, you know, he's probably more of a committee runner, that he, that basically workload is a concern for him. Um, now, he's 216 pounds, so that's not like something that jumped out as a, as a concern for me. He's 5'10", 216. Like, he's, he's big enough, but, you know, he didn't really do much until his final season. And he is kind of like this breakaway runner. So I guess... And when I when I watch him run, it's like he kind of looks like Raheem Mostert to me. That's a that's a name that kind of jumps out. Um, you know, he's he's you know a bit more of like the upright runner, super fast. You know, that kind of jumps off the tape. But um, you know, Mostert not exactly a workhorse type. So I guess it wouldn't shock me if, despite his size, an NFL team did kind of pigeonhole him as a like you know uh, maybe a one A, but still part of a committee. Is that is that a concern for you at all if, if scouts sort of see him like that? 
Yeah, I think that that would be an issue. I, in part, I think it's going to be an issue for all of these guys where the uh, I'm actually really excited about this next tier or two or three of running backs where I think we're going to get some guys who come out of this because you have interesting profiles, you have some athleticism. I mean, so much of it is a black box on a handful of the players. And again, that can be good, especially if you're getting good prices. The The issue with these guys that you might take at the end of the first round is that you're not going to get good prices if you take them there. Now, he's going to be cheaper than where I have him ranked yeah. unless yeah. he goes much earlier than he's going to be Unless people read your article. and then He's already skyrocketing up boards. What are you doing, man? Well, we know that broken tackles, forced missed tackles, evasion rate, yards after contact. We know that that has some predictive ability both in terms of itself and fantasy points. And I think it also appeals very much to coaches because yeah. if you have two guys who go out there and one of them you know, breaks every tackle in sight and then goes down before gaining any yards, then I mean, people love the David Montgomery profile because you've just done so much, even though you gain right. so little. And they don't necessarily care for that Mostert profile where every time someone breathes on him, he's down. But when he gets through the line, 20 yards here, 40 yards there, 60-yard touchdown, 15, 7, 6, and then a tackle at the line of scrimmage where he doesn't make an effort to beat his guy, and then you're benched because you didn't do the aesthetic thing. Now, there's more to it than that, but I think that the guys who – are absolutely electric athletically can get knocked down a little bit because people are thinking maybe not flexibly enough in terms of what running back profiles are and how you score points. One of the things that, and you know, it's easy if you want to make an argument for somebody to go back and find sort of a cherry picked exception, but Christian McCaffrey in his, I believe last year in college ran for over 1600 yards. More than half of them were before contact, which only follows if you watch Christian McCaffrey run. Right. I mean, how are those guys going to get a hand on it? And yet if you're grading by broken tackles, then, and yards after contact, that's not going to look as good. I think that we should kind of split the difference in this particular profile, especially when it's a really young guy. And I think that if he came back and had another year like Charbonnet, for example, where he really just blew the top off, then you'd be thinking, okay, well, this guy is very clear cut because he's actually a great athlete, which I don't think that we can really say for the UCLA back. But again, maybe there's too much projection. Maybe I just like the fact that he's fast and young, but you do have the production there that backs it up. And I'm just a sucker for that. Yeah, you do have. I mean, his his true junior year production is awesome and very efficient. He doesn't turn twenty one until October, so there's young, and then there's Izzy Abanacanda young. I mean, he is he's crazy young, um, and that was a, that made me feel a lot better about his profile because we just have the one season. So it's like, are you really? Oh, he didn't do very well as a seventeen year old in college. You know, that doesn't seem like a major concern to me. But it is. I think he has a pretty low floor. Like he could be nothing, you know, because he it's like a he's one season and maybe he could be basically viewed as like a speed back. He's got enough size where I don't think that's that likely, but like I, it's definitely not impossible. Well, Charbonnet, the and too, it, go ahead. Sorry, it's just that the really athletic players have a better chance of emerging as pass catchers at the NFL level mm. 
which would be nice because we don't have much evidence of that to this point. He was decently efficient in yards per route run. Um, and that that's something I've kind of, it, it's like, hey, if you think Zach Charbonnet is a three down, potential three down back, well, Izzy Banacana was more efficient in yards per route run. He was more efficient than Tank Bids, Bigsby. He was more efficient than Roshan Johnson. And, and generally, you know, Charbonnet, Johnson, and Bigsby are held up as potential three down backs in this class. And I'm not really pushing. I don't dispute that. I think they do have the potential to be uh, three down backs if the you know coaching staff believes in them. But Abanacanda, I think, does have this sort of a very similar profile um, where it just it's just a matter of do they do they leave him out there because he can probably handle it. I think he'll be totally competent if they do. Uh, but yeah, Charbonnet, I mean, he's, he does seem safer to me because the draft capital is more likely to be there. I mean, if one of these guys is a second round pick, it's probably Charbonnet, right? That's, that's what definitely seems to be the case. Yeah. So, and then you've got, I think workhorse potential with Charbonnet in a way that you definitely have to squint more with, uh, with a band of Canada. So are you like, it seems like basically the way you're talking glowingly about a band of Canada, that, that. The ranking, your controversial contrarian rank here is really about a bet on the athleticism for Izzy rather than being down on Charbonnet. Well, I get, no, I'm a little bit down on Charbonnet too. Okay. I've gone back and forth on him, and he's a back I think is a little bit tricky to understand, but in part because through a lot of years of trying to hit the different profiles and trying to create upside with picks as opposed to solid points with picks, it just continues to jump out that you want players who are extremely athletic, but also have, you just need something about the profile that says star. And I don't know that we have that for Charbonnet. I mean, he's, he's close on a lot of things, right? The evasion rate is up there where you can definitely say, okay, he's going to break some tackles at the NFL level when you're his size, you know, four five, three speed, that can work, but you really still want to have all of those guys be sub four or five, or you have a handful of these elite big receiving backs at the NFL level who had just extraordinary off the charts agility. Well, I mean, this comes Bell in, archetype, right? And David Johnson, uh, Doug mm-hmm. Martin. I mean, there are a handful of guys in there, but definitely, like you're saying, he's there twenty six percent. Now, I, it seems to me like it would be easy to just not time that well for those randomly as opposed to some of the other types of testing. But when you look at the numbers with him, it's really that he has been elite in that UCLA offense. And I guess that part of it Mm. makes me worried a little bit because he struggled at Michigan. When you need the four years, you have that big contrast between Abanacanda and Charbonnet in terms of kind of where they are in their trajectory and I still have him at 12 here and I've got a lot of guys below this that I really like. So it's not being out on him, but I do worry that he's getting credit for having beaten up on younger players in a dynamic rushing offense. And then even something like the, you know, very solid yards per route numbers. I mean, I think that all of the things that he's done well the last couple of years are going to be more difficult to sustain at the NFL level, which for me, makes him kind of a, a good, not great type of prospect. That seems fair. Um, all right, let's move to another truly contrarian take here. So last week I had Travis May on the podcast. He's a big Marvin Mims guy. And I'm a big Marvin Mims guy. And I was saying, look, 
let's see, you know, let's see who the bigger Marvin Mims guy is here. What if Zay Flowers goes to the Patriots and Marvin in the first round and Marvin Mims gets second round draft capital and lands with the Chargers? Are you in on Marvin Mims over Zay Flowers in rookie drafts? And I couldn't get him, Sean. You have Marvin Mims ranked ahead of Zay Flowers just straight up. You, you don't up. even need you don't even need the landing spots to come in favorably. To talk about that rank. That that one's pretty wild. Yeah, well, uh, you've got somebody who comes in, rips off a ridiculous, you know, four point six yards per route as a true freshman, backs it up with two more seasons above three. He's a smaller guy and not small, but a smaller guy. And one of the things that really jumps out when you contrast some of the things you're looking for, for the small players versus the big players, one of the things that's so funny is that speed is so overdrafted at the receiver position, especially among the bigger prospects that it it looks like a negative when you put it into certain um, (laughs) formulas, because the NFL, once you have draft capital in there, because the NFL is so overdrafted them, but for Dorsett and, and um, uh, John Ross, by the way, Marvin McNutt was the big wide receiver I was trying to think of before. There you that, go. That I was thinking peak big wide receiver of Rotoviz. Exactly. Iowa had the I could I could see the the image of him there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the difference I think between the big guys and the small guys is you do want the small guys to be really fast and you want them to break out early. Mims, the biggest concern for me is that you never really have that massive season again like you get from Addison. But when you're looking at him with the 4-3-8-40, the sub-7-3 cone, the 90th percentile explosion score, and that he's going to play his rookie year at 21, yeah, having already done these other things. I mean, back-to-back years with more than 20 yards per reception over you know, 1,480 air yards last year. This guy, to me, is a premier vertical threat who is going to get open and stress NFL defenses. And the big thing you're worried about with those types of players is just that if they do get stuck with poor quarterback play, it's going to be harder to do the things that they do well. But I think it's just absolutely baffling that there isn't more excitement about him when you consider just what he's done and what he is athletically compared to some of these other guys. I do too, but where, you know, with this rank, where are you kind of banking on him being drafted? Because it seems like he's going to go day two. But it's like that doesn't seem like completely locked in. But if he's like a late third round pick, does that change things for you? Yeah. So my red flag that I have down here on the sheet is that the ranking probably won't be sustainable after we get draft slot. However, people know, right, that declaring early makes a huge difference in terms of what it means for fantasy points. They know that breaking out early, which I think is more borderline in terms of whether you give it to him or not, makes a huge difference. But it's still hard to believe that right after the NFL has actually picked these guys and said, no, we like this older player who doesn't have these traits better. And we took him many, many, many picks earlier. He's going to have to really fall to to drop substantially. But he's kind of in a tier where Josh Downs, Zay Flowers, the tight ends, all of those guys could easily move up ahead of him because they're already so close but I wanted to make sure I reflected some of the things that he's done. And just, I think he's one of the coolest prospects out there. I hope he goes early. I, I completely agree with you. I guess what I would push back on is like, Hey man, if we're going to do this, you've got him ahead of Zay flowers. You got him ahead of Josh downs. What is Jalen Hyatt doing ahead of him? Let's, let's, let's really go for it here. Jalen Hyatt. I mean, this guy spent all of his snaps in the slot. He didn't ever have to like, 
get covered, which seems like maybe a red flag. He runs straight down the field. Is like a lot of like go routes, wheel routes type of stuff in this weird uh, offense that's like not at all like an NFL offense that he was in. Um, a lot of times, you know, he had Cedric Tillman. I was listening to Mike Renner talk about how like Cedric Tillman was actually on on the outside facing press coverage, and Hyatt was was off the line because he's playing this like wide slot position, so you couldn't you couldn't even press him. Um, and uh, he has one breakout season. It is in his true junior season. He is an early declare wide receiver. So he does, he does check some boxes, but he strikes me as like a very low floor player and not a particularly high ceiling player because he's a hundred under 180 pounds. And he's kind of this like pure vertical threat who now has to go play on the outside. Most likely unless he lands in like Buffalo or something and gets to run deep, you know, deep routes from the slot. And then I'm in, I'm in if that happens, but in most situations, I just don't, I feel like he's just not that high upside of a fantasy player and comes with a non-existent floor. So what, why aren't we just taking Marvin Mims ahead of him too? I think that his draft situation is probably a little safer. That, I, that... I agree with you. Okay. But so is okay. Flowers. Well, Zay Flowers is much safer. When we talked with Travis the other day on OT, he made some of those points. I guess I have a hard time penalizing prospects. And this, again, kind of goes back to the idea of whatever you were asked to do, do it extremely well. And if you are uncoverable and destroy Alabama and you put up huge overall numbers, then I think teams who had a huge incentive, have a good coaching staff, have elite talent, they need to take you away to win and go win a national championship and they can't do it, then I guess for me that sort of neutralizes those other concerns. Is it a, If it's an element, though, where maybe you have to wait on him a little bit more, I think that a lot of these guys, and one of the things that we have witnessed over the past two or three years is just an extreme acceleration of how quickly some of these players are able to give you fantasy points right away. You might want to be a little bit more conservative in – formats where you need that maybe you're limited in roster stuff but again i mean you're talking about a guy who who gets deep even in in best ball if you're going to get behind the defense score those long touchdowns i mean a taekwon thornton touchdown made a big difference it'll it'll help you out if uh, (laughs) everything lines up right (laughs) so i i like that element of it and i think the fact that he's so athletic and is still uh, the use stuff too Again, a very neutralizing factor to some of the red flags. I think he's going to get opportunities. And for me, the biggest concern, again, would just be quarterback play. Yeah, I, I agree. I think his situation, his landing spots can be massive. Zay Flowers, um, you know, I I, I kind of like the the Mims over Flowers in some respects. But, like, I do – I kind of feel I need to stick up for Flowers a little bit here. Does he not sort of check the ultra-productive box for you as a – four-year player and I guess he wasn't quite as productive as we'd like early in his career he was extremely productive late in his career um he is he is undersized but he's not as tiny as you know a Josh Downs he's bigger than Jalen Hyatt he's more mim sized I think they were within a pound of each other and I think a pretty similar type of profile where he won downfield I think Mims is probably more of like a true field stretcher than Zay Flowers like the scouting evaluation on Flowers is more of kind of a intermediate type of winner but he did win downfield as well in college so 
he's, I think, a pretty interesting type of player. He can play in the slot, can play on the outside. He's versatile. Yeah, he's a four-year player, but he's going to be a first-round pick most likely. And he, you know, in to your point about speed earlier, he isn't like a four-two-five, four-three guy. Like he's getting pushed up boards because of his route running ability, which I think is is much more encouraging than if he were just this like four-year burner. You know, that would that would be a lot more worrisome for me. It's it's it seems to be a skill based evaluation that's moving him up boards. Yeah, I think you can go either direction with that because I, I do really want to see the youth and the speed for the small guys. You don't want to see the speed where it's not accompanied by any production. And then the speed for some of the big guys, again, where it tends to be something where now, oh, there's no production. But because of this freak score package, you can move them up. His is tricky because, I mean, he is this Boston College passing offense, and he's sort of the, the poster child for how dominator rating can potentially help you understand just how important a player was. He's got that 33% career dominator rating, which it didn't even necessarily need the last extremely positive year to be that good. The guys who come out at that level and are drafted early, I mean, those guys almost universally succeed. Now, the thing with him is that because the, the Boston College passing offense doesn't give you anything, you know, he, he doesn't have one of these big seasons in terms of just the raw numbers, even though he's got four chances at it. Now, we had the pandemic and you've got a variety of things that made it more challenging for players from you know this class that comes through here to do some of those things. But when you have a small player who has some red flags and is going to have to thrive at 182 pounds, despite maybe not have some of the athletic benefits, and he's going to play his rookie year at 23, those things all concern me to where, I mean, you would expect him to pretty dramatically underperform the draft slot, but the draft slot might be high enough that even once he underperforms that, you actually get plenty of fantasy production. It may be a situation where if you're looking for a high floor and the price isn't that bad, then it's a really good fit. But if he's one of the first couple of receivers selected, then I guess it's hard for me to see how the price is really going to work. Well, I think the price is working right now in best ball. You can get him, you get him after Jordan Addison and Quentin Johnston. You know, you, you do have to take him ahead of like high and downs and stuff, but I think that's fine. For year one production, I'm actually fairly bullish on him. Um, and then I will say, you know, you can always trade these guys, you know, like you get, you talk about trade value uh, and how important that is. If you have a productive wide receiver who's going into his second year, those are almost always coveted trade assets. So part of it for me is like, I guess I don't want to like overthink say flowers because if he's like a smooth route runner who can win in the intermediate and deep parts of the field can play in the slot and on the outside, especially if he ends up with like a solid quarterback you know, and he's a first round pick. I think he's going to be pretty productive out of the gate. And Davis Maddock was talking about how he, he just strikes him as someone who just earned a ton of targets as a rookie. And like, you know, I don't want to turn my nose up at that. Cause it's like, well, in year three, you won't do much. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> trade him before year three then, you know? So, and, and I think having him on your best ball team this year could, especially at the current prices could be, could be pretty powerful. And as you mentioned, he is one of those guys where, I mean, I mentioned the, instant openness off the line of scrimmage making some comments around christian mccaffrey when you watch him play i mean he does appear to be 
open right away. And that was one of the things when you look at Amon Ross St. Brown, somebody who maybe is that guy who's the example of, you know, you can have almost any type of profile. And if you look over a large enough sample, there'll be one guy who hits without really doing any of the things that you want to see. But then you watch him at the NFL level and I mean, St. Brown is instantly open. That's one of the reasons why he had this incredible streak with a plus 30% market share <laughs> because Jared Goff's just like, yeah, I mean, I'll take that pass right there. The guy right. was open as soon as the play started. Right. Um, well, okay. So we have not mentioned Will Levis yet. And I've been listening to Mike Runner's been, uh, he was on the Established Run podcast. He's on Kevin Cole's podcast. And I've been listening to the, to him and he's a big Levis guy. He's got Levis fourth overall uh, in his real life uh, draft board over at PFF. And I was like, I need, that's ahead of uh, Stroud and Anthony Richardson. So I was like, man, God, maybe I need to go back and reevaluate Will Levis a little bit, you know, because it, it seems like the NFL sort of turning against this guy. But, but Renner, you know, I, I like his evaluations a lot, and he's very high on him. You have Will Levis at 17th in Superflex. So you you are now I'm like, oh, maybe I need to go back and reevaluate Levis because I'm too high. You know, I, I've been I've been thinking that Levis is sort of the the Daniel Jones, the Zach Wilson the Justin Herbert, you know, the scoop him up because the NFL is going to draft him high enough to where we just bet on that type of guy. Although I have moved off that position a little bit as I've started to wonder if the NFL is going to bet on him high. You're hearing kind of everything like, oh, you know, maybe the Raiders would like trade up for him or it's like, oh, maybe he wouldn't like go until like the 20th pick. There's like, it's, in, it's kind of all over the map. Um. I'm going to like wait to have like a really strong opinion on Levis until after the draft. <laughs> I let the NFL show me their opinion first, but I'll say like, if he's the third or fourth pick in this class, I mean, he just shouldn't be a second round super flex pick, right? Like we have to take the draft capital and bet on that at some point. I mean, you're talking me into like keeping Daniel Jones on our team, Sean, we you're, you're fine with bad quarterbacks as long as they play. That's right. Bad quarterbacks. If they play, if they run, if they're going to, continue to get better weapons around them we're trying to feel good about daniel jones also boost up daniel jones <laughs> trade value yeah, yeah talk up daniel jones real quick because i'd love to trade him <laughs> i'd love to not have him on our team anymore we have mike and davis and drew as targets for that that trade there <laughs> yeah, they need yeah. some quarterback play yeah he's the name that you get heard thrown around with Levis and in exactly the same way that you're discussing, he's someone who has bounced very wildly around for me. One of the things that I do put some weight into is that the college football guys, and this certainly wouldn't be across the board, but the college football guys who that is their thing really dislike Richardson and really dislike Levis in my experience where the scouts and the fantasy analysts I think are higher on them because they can see the the true path to fantasy scoring I mean even a week ago I'm looking at this as maybe Levis is the best way to play it because you can trade down and then you have a little bit of that mix where he's got some of the strengths of Richardson and he's got he's closer to what you're looking for in terms of a passer at the NFL level. And he could thread that needle. 
then suddenly you have a little bit of the best of both worlds. You look back to his 2021 where he's a little bit healthier and he actually does provide some of the rushing value that you're looking for. But again, I just have so many people tell me that he's actually not the player who brings the mobility that you really need to thrive in the NFL, that the arm, again, is more or less useless. You've got, I'll go back to the kind of point at the beginning where the first round QBs have struggled. And we always kind of dismiss that because you say, well, I mean, we knew which players were overdrafted to start with. Well, that seems like, again, the, the exact player you're thinking of when you're like, yeah, I mean, don't tell me that the first round quarterbacks are busts because people drafted Will Levis in the first round and, no, and we all knew that he wasn't going to be any good. Now, that's easier to say about players when you pick them out after the fact and after they've already Yeah, because everyone thought Justin Herbert wasn't going to be good and everyone thought Josh Allen wasn't going to be good and, you know. Daniel Jones isn't good, but he's still been pretty good for fantasy. So, you know, and we all knew Zach Wilson wasn't going to be good, and we were right about that one. But, but, yeah, we're not as good as we think. Well, the Josh Allen thing, again, is kind of a, a once-in-a-lifetime type of situation, sure. I think. Sure, yeah. Justin Herbert's somebody that perhaps just through ignorance, I was pretty high on, so I was glad that that worked out the way that it did. But, yeah, I mean, you look for a guy who – could be just good enough to keep a starting position. And I think that's one of the ways in which you want to look at dynasty super flex big picture is that you are looking to pay as little as you can and build the depth through guys like Geno Smith and Jared Goff and Deanna Jones and Derek Carr, hoping that in general, you're not going to have to lean on that and that heavily other than when they're in a great situation surrounded by weapons and the passing volume is really high. Otherwise you prefer to have other guys and you're going to be moving them when they have some value and trying to build up to the top end. I mean, ideally you get where, you know, we're fortunate enough to be now on our team where you have Josh Allen and then you can have a variety of guys behind him, kind of the one star and then yeah. the variety. But if you build that way, then you don't necessarily have to overpay for the QBs. And yet if you're looking for a QB and you need to have a QB in this draft, but you want to do some other things and you don't want to take the huge risk, trade down, trade down, trade down, Take Levis as sort of a compromise on everything, but maybe just good enough to start. And then if he does start, I think the fantasy value is more interesting than some of the people who are kind of locked in starters. Yeah, this is maybe a controversial take, but I don't see a huge difference in terms of their fantasy value between Will Levis and CJ Stroud. Because Stroud is sort of like going to the point of like Stroud as a passer, like Levis is that guy that I was talking about. What if CJ Stroud was a little worse? He he is. He's a little worse. But he he was a more willing scrambler. And I think he could end up running more because he's a little worse. And you're going to get that. I don't know if you're starting next year, dude. You better show me something kind of like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, you get that. Because I think Daniel Jones needed that. You know, Daniel Jones wouldn't be running the way he's been running if he, you know, they didn't pick up his fifth year option. You know, like he was, it was this year or, or he's out, you know? And I think there's like some of these quarterbacks, I think become a little bit more mobile when they have to. And Levis strikes me as a guy who might hit that point of his career pretty quickly. Whereas Stroud is probably going to be just good enough as a passer to be, I think kind of a boring fantasy asset. So I don't know. You, you obviously completely disagree with that um, assessment because you have like Stroud, uh, you know, 11 picks higher in your ranks 
than Levis or whatever. Um, but I don't know. To me, I, I certainly at cost would would rather be in on. I mean, especially if maybe you know I was thinking I could be getting Levis at like the one hundred seven or one hundred eight. Maybe I'm not thinking um, creatively enough. Maybe I need to be trading down to the one twelve and get him there. But I, you know, if I can get him at the very end of the first round, I strongly prefer Levis to Stroud if I'm going to have to take Stroud at like the 102 or 103. I think I would still prefer Stroud in part because I actually have them a lot farther apart as passers. Okay. And I think that there's some of that genius to the way that Stroud plays on top of just what you see in the numbers that is encouraging. And you think about the previous year's bowl game where his stars decide to sit out and you're thinking, okay, we'll maybe see a little bit more here now because he's not surrounded by three like top 10 in the NFL yeah. wide receivers. I mean, that's the real tricky part with Stroud is just when you're surrounded by that much talent, it's going to be harder to have an accurate evaluation and you better be as good as he was or even better because you have those weapons around right, right. you. But you have the game against Utah and then you have the game against Georgia, where if not for, you know, a questionable hit, they win that game. And I mean, you think about that contrasted with what happened a week later, and it's, it's really difficult to not see him as somebody who can do some of those things. But it is something where when you're comparing two players who have such a different amount of talent surrounding them, you're going to get different numbers. And yet, I just think Levis needed to be better and he needed to be better earlier in his trajectory the other part with him is just i'm um, you're taking a guy who a little bit more like locker as opposed to richardson as i was saying someone who has failed enough that i think that you can not lock that in but you have a track record now and you have an age where i don't think that those parts of it really encourage you to use a first round pick i mean you think about how you know you look forward to these picks for years you're trading down in startups and giving yeah. up really good players and, and all of that kind of thing to go through all of that and to get these picks and then to come back and pick will Levis. i mean that's heartbreaking <laughs> isn't it it is it totally is i completely agree with you i have no pushback on that unfortunately um and one thing i'll say as far as the passing profiles go so first of all i would like to caveat my previous take that that's if will levis gets drafted highly you know, and again, I'm not I'm not going to be like pounding the table to draft this quarterback who I think is bad if it turns out the NFL is not that into him. But if the NFL is into him, I do think that like, you know, C.J. Stroud goes third or well, let's say C.J. Stroud goes second and um, Will Levis goes third. Are we such good evaluators that C.J. Stroud's the 102 in Superflex and Will Levis is the 202, you know, and that and that makes any sense at all. Like that, that I think that just fundamentally makes no sense. We he, aren't. We know we aren't. He won't go that low if he gets drafted he early. He and and he shouldn't. And the thing that I think about both Richardson and Levis, and arguably also Stroud and Young, is that the thing that's so great about them being selected early and then having interesting elements to their profiles. Because one of the things that's so tricky here is that I think the guys who are awesome have some fantasy issues. And I think the guys who are yeah. awesome for fantasy have some huge real life issues. That's unfortunate yeah. because if you look to the next draft, I think it's pretty easy to say <laughs> it's, it's very unfortunate. 
<laughs> I think it's pretty easy to say we can use the 101 on the QB next year. Yeah. But the thing for me, you say we're not that good of evaluating. The reason that I love having these four QBs, all of them, it seems like they're going to go in the top 10, right? Maybe Levis falls. I mean, if, if Hendon Hooker jumps up that much, then maybe that shifts for a team mm. kind of what the calculus is there. But because of Superflex that we're discussing and, and most people are playing, the value of those picks to trade now is so high. And again, it's something where if you spent a lot and pointed at 2023 and said, this is going to be one of these elite drafts and I'm excited, I'm going to build my team around this, then, I mean, do you have the ability to delay gratification and continue to push that out? But, I mean, you can create so much future value and spread the risk by trading out of those picks then and, and just be willing to make to pull the trigger on trade offers. I mean, you got to work through with people and make sure you get a lot because you should get a lot. I mean, these are quarterbacks who are going to start in the NFL. But that's kind of the way that I would play it because, as you say, we really don't know what we're going to get. Yeah, and I guess we we didn't touch on Bijan Robinson, but you, know, you have him 101 and I have him 101. And I, that's a big part of it for me is that, like, I think Robinson sets you up to where – you're probably trading him next year for a quarterback that we feel like way better about than these quarterbacks now. And it might be like, it might be because like CJ Stroud is looking great. And then you go trade. It's like, well, I wouldn't have taken Stroud actually. I would have taken young who's, you know, broke his collarbone or whatever. And you know, now we're all worried about him because he's so small. Then it's like, well, I'll just trade Bijan for the guy who actually hit from this group. <laughs> I, I think like he gives you that that kind of ticket, you know, that you can cash in. And in the meantime, he's like racking up running back points for you. So uh, that's, that's at least for me kind of why, and it doesn't obviously have to be one of these rookies. It could be an, a next year rookie. It could be a veteran. I just think he gives you like this in, insane trade value uh, chip that you can cash in later. And he's going to score a bunch of points for you this year. So I assume you pre you feel pretty similarly about him. I do. And I think that there, like you mentioned, there are so many different options. And I have a lot of leagues where I moved really good players for who were going to have dec declining trade value for Jalen Hurts. And then plenty of leagues where I was close on those trades and tried to get a little bit more because arguably you were due a little bit more. And I think even you and I were in that situation and didn't pull the trigger. And so you don't have them. Now you're thinking, well, that was a huge yeah. mistake in retrospect, but the fact that you were in that opportunity or in that situation, a lot of, in a lot of different drafts, a lot of different leagues that those opportunities come up. I mean, I would prefer to play a Christian McCaffrey and then, you know, once he's 26 trade him for a Jalen hurts, than have to make that call on hurts going yeah. into the NFL. Agreed. Especially when the hurts type of bet doesn't cost you a second round pick anymore. It costs you the one Oh two or the one Oh three like Richardson probably will. So I think that's a great way to put it. Um, real quick, just on the, the best ball side of this with Levis. Levis has been, you know, in one quarterback. He's. It used to be that Richardson was down available in the late rounds. Um, there was a lot of steam on him. He's no longer available there. You got to take him kind of where you take Bryce Young now. Um, and C.J. Stroud, uh, I think he's going ahead, of, was going ahead of C.J. Stroud in uh, the big board before it closed. And now in Superflex on Underdog, you're seeing – uh, Richardson go way ahead of Will Levis and Levis goes, you know, kind of more in like the Tannehill zone, you know, is he not a kind of a smash there? Like he, he's probably starting games by the end of the year. Are you, 
if we're kind of being price conscious about our Will Levis exposure, does does best ball strike you as a as a spot to get some exposure to him? I think it does. And I love to play it that way. Maybe not even specifically with him, but I mean, there's so much focus on getting that QB position taken care of. I really like to push it and to get some of these late guys because what you want to do, I think overall, but especially in tournaments is you want to create a situation where your overall roster is unique and ultra elite and then if one or two things go right that you, I mean, you win your particular league and you're then off to the race, it's going to be so difficult to compete with your team. And maybe your team, you know, finishes toward the bottom because those one or two things don't hit. But when we're talking about quarterbacks and the fantasy scoring for some of these guys who are in the interesting range, it's really purely a question of whether or not they start games. And if they right. do, they will score for you. Because we don't know who those guys are going to be, it's such a a great bet to make. I mean, Colin and I were in the Superflex finals for the FFPC last year because of Geno Smith. (laughs) And when you you make that pick, you're not thinking, well, Geno Smith is going to win me a tournament. But you're working through what the scenarios are that could get you where you want to be. Yeah, I think people kind of think through the quarterback stuff a little bit uh, off they're coming to get me. I'm, I'm talking to Will Levis and Superflex. Um, I think like the payoff in these Superflex leagues is so much bigger on these later names, you know. And I don't think you know this, Sean, because because uh, you're not on Twitter. Where you know I've been I've been talking up Jacoby Brissett. I think he's coming for your boy Sam Howell. I think he's <laughs> I think he's starting games this year. But like you know, if you take Jacoby Brissett in a one quarterback league and he and he starts ten games, like cool, you. You still you burned a pick like it, it doesn't matter. It didn't help you, you know, most likely. Maybe it helped you in it, but the odds that it did are very low in Superflex. It's massive, you know, so I think like taking those types of swings where you're like, well, I might have burned this team betting on this guy starting and then he's not starting and I needed him to start. And now the team's dead. But if he does start, the payoff is huge. And I think in Superflex best ball and and i guess maybe in dynasty to some extent as well but it's probably more of a best ball take people tend to be a little bit too safe you know it's like we're we got to get that quarterback filled up we may i got to make sure i have enough quarterback points like yeah you you have enough quarterback points you don't have any other points though you know that that could be a problem for you you're not scoring any points at the rest of the positions and i think you know in a big tournament there's going to be you're going to be going up against teams that drafted you know jacoby Brissett if he hits or Bailey Zappi, you know, or Taylor Heineke or some of these guys who end up starting games um, or like a Will Levis, who I think is a very good bet to start games at the end of the year is a, is a highly drafted rookie, most likely. Um, or Ryan Tannehill is just the starter in Tennessee again, or he's traded to Atlanta and he starts there, you know, for half the season or more. Like there is enough quarterbacks. They're all getting drafted. Teams are going to have them. You're going to be playing against those teams. You're gonna be you're gonna be in bad shape if you're not scoring a, a ton of points at the at the skill position players and they are and they have quarterback covered. And there's always a chance that you go through a season where most of the stars stay healthy, and as a result, those teams are pretty strong. And then everybody says, you know, you were silly. It was obvious that the top yeah, quarterbacks yeah. were going to score. But I mean, you can't go in with that fear, and you can't go in locked into one way that the season plays out. I mean. You think about what happened in 2016 at the running back position that 
got people to go back to drafting running backs the wrong way for a long time. And you mentioned what the incentives are in best ball. That's definitely the case. You think to something like dynasty and there, there are some similarities to the way that we've played the, the running back position where, yeah, I mean, you're probably not going to get huge numbers of points from a Jacoby Brissett, but as is the case when a running back goes down and his backup goes in and his DFS price skyrockets and, and all of those types yeah. of things, you know who's going to start that game at quarterback. And so if you have addressed your roster that way, you again, you spread the risk out and you have a lot of different ways to address what can happen in the season, including starting quarterbacks who score points and then this elite roster around it that's very difficult to compete with. Yeah. Um all right, well, let's close out here with the tight end position. Uh, it's a pretty interesting tight end class. And Michael Mayer is kind of the top guy, I think, for pretty much everyone. Um, I think I think Renner might have Kincaid at the top of the class, but I think pretty much everybody has Michael Mayer in the fantasy community. Um, Kincaid, generally the number two guy, uh, and that's how you have it as well. But you have those guys as kind of like, several tiers ahead of Darnell Washington and uh, you know, the Sam Laporta types um, you know, Tucker craft gets, gets a mention. Uh, I don't think you're particularly high on him. So where are you at on uh, oh, Luke Musgrave is the other guy that tends to get uh, some buzz. I don't see him in your rankings here. Uh, maybe, maybe you're He's not down into Musgrave. The bottom there. He's down towards the bottom. Okay. So yeah, you seem to have it more like I kind of have it more clustered. Like I think Laporta, Musgrave, Washington, Kincaid are all pretty interesting. I think Mayer's more interesting than them, but the other guys are like kind of all in the same tier and cluster for me. Um, Kraft, I think, have a little bit behind. But the the Kincaid evaluation is one that he's just – he's an older guy. Um, he hasn't jumped out to me in the numbers as much, but you seem higher on him. So can you can you hype me up on Dalton Kincaid a little bit? I think the numbers are extremely positive for him if you look at just the very end. And so okay. then it's the question of, you know, how much do you give this fifth season in college where he has 890 yards, eight touchdowns, you know, a 29% dominator rating as a tight end is pretty absurd, 2.7 yards per route. And then you go and watch him play and he looks like a superstar, right? Just incredibly fluid, the highlights look great when you put that then with all of that production that he got at the end. It's really easy to see him transition quickly to the NFL because of that combination of results and fluidity. And because, I mean, he's one of these guys who's kind of buzzy, almost in a concerning way to where you think, you know, he could potentially be way overdrafted, but where the team would be definitely looking to have him go out there and compete as a receiving threat instantly. That would be the positive. The negative would be that when you're a 24 year old rookie and you're looking at the last season in college, even if there were, you know, it was a circuitous route and maybe you didn't play a lot of high school football and all of that. I mean, we're again, we're talking about somebody having success later than they should have. And against, far younger players. So that part of it, I think is a red flag that it, I've actually moved him back down 
from where he was because still ahead of Zay Flowers. Well, <laughs> for me, Zay Flowers is one of these guys where if he hits, it probably is still not going to help you a ton. But you mentioned the Amon Ra. We think about that. Amon Ra obviously would help you. So probably not exactly the right way to think about it. I like these tight ends. I think maybe, or my philosophy on tight end in the dynasty drafts is I like to take one in the second round every year. Yeah. Whoever the best guy is. And, you know, I have people tell me, well, just wait until they've been bad for a couple of years and trade for them at zero price. I think people do still a little bit misunderstand how quickly some of the guys can help. And that as you start to get into that range where a guy's about to break out, I mean, if you're playing in leagues or people are giving those guys away to you, then you know, either enjoy that or join something more competitive. But the, but I mean, I want to score a lot of points at tight end and create a positional advantage to where I'm almost starting an extra guy. Now, I mean, it doesn't always work, but when you start to build that depth at tight end, especially if you have enough roster spots to do it, I think it does put you in a position where if you're playing, like I mentioned at the beginning, in the RP dry flex at the FFPC, those guys are good for flex plays too, you know, once they become good players. So I'm yeah. looking at that and I'm interested in these tight ends. It'll be interesting to see where they go in the NFL draft, but there is this just weird, I mean, obviously you and I with our backgrounds and all of that type of thing, we're very immersed in not just the numbers, but you know, what has predictive value and all this kind of thing, but you do watch the players play and have interest in that. And so when you watch Kincaid and he does seem unstoppable and then you watch Mayer. I, but it was really hard for me to not like move him down a round and a half after watching the NFL Combine because he's out there looking like just one of your buddies trying to like run a forty-yard dash without falling down, and just the athleticism there is really pretty concerning to me. But I mean, obviously, the reason that we all have him so high is that the age-adjusted production yeah. absolutely fantastic. And you're basically hoping he's like peak Jason Witten or something. You know, it's not – I think he's not you – know, it's, it's, it's a Zach Ertz play. That's what Mayer is. You're not hoping that he's – you know, he's not Kelsey. He's not even Darren Waller or something. Like, that's that's not how he hits. Um I agree, agree with you, though. I, I ended up being a little bit lower on the tight end class after the combine, partially because I was like, I thought Mayer was like, if Mayer was very athletic, I, I was ready to be like, what's the difference between Mayer and Kyle Pitts? You know? <laughs> what? Tell me what the difference is. <laughs> but I can't do that because the difference is that Kyle Pitts is like a freakishly athletic wide receiver and Mayer is like uh, the, the tail end of Jason Witten's career in terms of the athleticism. <laughs> so the difference is... It's pretty clear, but I, I had that take. Uh, it was in a draft. <laughs> I had to draft it. We'll never see the light of day. Um, uh, unless you listen to the end of this 140 minute uh, podcast. But um, let, let me ask you about some of the, just quickly about some of the other tight ends. I mean, uh, like Laporta, Darnell Washington, do any of these guys jump out? I mean, Laporta's, God, I wish he was like a three year guy. You know, he is a four year guy. And, um, but his yards after catch stuff is really impressive to me and does seem to have like an NFL receiving skill, which is one thing I've started to look for at the, at tight end is like, you know, that's one reason I like Dulcich a lot last year is like, he can stretch the seam. Like I know he can stretch the seam and that's going to like set him apart from the other tight ends, you know, on his team. 
you know, and and give him a reason to be like out there running routes is that he actually does something pretty well. Laporta, it's different. He's a yards after catch guy. But I think particularly if he lands like in a Shanahan style system that uses the tight end and really prioritizes yards after catch, I, I do feel like okay, he's got a he's got a thing he does, which I which I really like. Yeah, and one of the things that you just wish that the group in general were a little bit healthier and a little bit younger. So you could make more apples to apples comparisons for them. I mean, Darnell Washington, for example, just so interesting because he's this ridiculous athlete with the 83rd percentile 40, the 99th percentile shuttle, 85th percentile broad. I mean, you're talking about a big guy too. We're not all of the guys who come out. They don't necessarily need to come out and be big guys for a fantasy perspective. You're like, yeah, give me a, a tight end who can't really block and won't be asked to do that. But I mean, Washington, 6'6", 265, and he's there kind of buried behind a guy who, to me, seems like someone who could be that tight end who jumps in and yeah, yeah, gives yeah. you that you know, Kyle Pitts competition at the top of a draft in, in Brock Bauer. So you're running 150 fewer routes, but you do get to the 2.7 yards per route. It's not dissimilar from the two big names. He's an early declare. But the overall production is just so thin that until you kind of see where he's drafted and what the situation is going to be, it's just hard to have much of a confident projection there. And then for the other guys, I think that you have some interesting things with Musgrave and even Zach Koontz. But again, you're looking at some athletic gifts that might allow them to have an advantage at the NFL level. Laporta... I think a little bit more of a mix. And so I, I don't know that fantasy managers need to have a strong conviction on those guys before the draft, because they're mm -hmm. probably still not viable even in the end of your best ball drafts at this point. And yet the guys who do land in a good situation, and then especially the ones who could start to generate some buzz at mid season, I think if you're in later rookie drafts or you're looking to address the very end of your redraft rosters in 2023 this class is fun because there are so many tight end options i don't think that's necessarily usually the case it's not yeah i mean i like to take the tight ends in round two because i think that when people are taking them at the end of round three round four in your deeper drafts those are mostly throwaway picks yeah i like that i mean that's where you, you're getting cole Komet there you're getting pat firemuth there I and mean, the second round tight end has actually been pretty pretty strong pick um I actually do think these guys are are viable end of best ball draft picks in 20 round best ball drafts right now. Um, maybe that's just kind of recency bias from seeing like Jelani Woods and Trey McBride and Daniel Bellinger and Chico Conquo, like all and Jelani Woods, like all kind of come into relevance right at the tail end of last fantasy season. And I think this is a much stronger class than that. And you also have some landing spots, you know, like the Cowboys, um, Maybe not the Bengals so much because they just got over Smith, but there's a number of spots where you know these guys could come in and contribute. Um, and I think, like, you know, what like in terms of Darnell Washington, what do you think of him compared to like a Jelani Woods? Like, to me, he's he seems like a very similar bet, but he's like slightly more exciting and probably comes with better draft capital. And and I thought Woods was was overdrafted in the fantasy community, he still comes in and you're like. Yeah, they weren't wrong about how big he was. <laughs> you know, everyone was right about that. And he's also very athletic. And you know what? Uh, I kind of like him now as like a bet to catch a touchdown. So, you know, the bar 
maybe the bar won't be as low this year in terms of what we need at the tight end position, but man, it's almost always really low. And so I actually kind of like these guys. It's like week 15, 16, 17, please, please catch a touchdown bets. Uh, like even Trey McBride came through in week 17 last year uh, after doing absolutely nothing. He did. And Trey McBride was, and still is someone I have a lot of enthusiasm for. <laughs> I don't know if Arizona could trade him to a functional NFL franchise. <laughs> they have, they have, he's, he's not first on the list. They got to get Hopkins out of there first. But yeah, I, Washington, I think a little bit like Woods is someone you're probably targeting for 2024, but the upside is such that you definitely in dynasty would be stashing in any kind of league with, with reasonable depth in terms of total roster spots. A few of those other guys, like Laporta that you mentioned, I think could be last-round picks who would become interesting if they hit into the right the right landing spot and could go for you right away. I In best ball, again, we're targeting a lot of athleticism and a lot of breakout potential, but I do like the elite tight end. I think that is what wins, yeah. generally speaking. And then you're going to have this big big tier of players you avoid because they just don't do enough for the price. And then you're trying to hit all of these post hype breakout types of players and get yourself situated and set there without having to go to that very bottom group. Now, you know what the very bottom group is going to be a little bit different for everybody. For me, it included Trey McBride last year, much to my dismay until the final week, but definitely looking to get production from those tight ends or at least have that breakout potential that, post height potential. I mean, Gerald Everett, I thought was a great pick last year. And I guess you can go back and forth on whether or not he really <laughs> was. He, he did his Gerald Everett thing where you watch him he play sure and you did. think, man, you could be so much better if you just were a little better. <laughs> <laughs> that is the Gerald Everett story. Uh, all right, let's, let's close out here. Uh, we've gone way too long, but I do, before we go, I want to just ask you uh, if there's any of these running backs that's jump out to you from this big, big tier of guys, like anything to say on, you know, tank Bigsby, Kendry Miller, Sean Tucker, Roshan Johnson, Chase Brown, kind of like this huge Dwayne McBride, uh, kind of in this general vicinity, like anyone jump out to you that you think is kind of, uh, being like underdrafted, overdrafted, just kind of interesting thoughts on that group. Well, Zach Evans, I think is the one who, you look at what he was as a recruit, and then you look at the fact that, I mean, he's averaged over 100 yards from scrimmage per game over the last couple of seasons, even though he hasn't necessarily been that productive. He's one of those guys that you get good broken and missed tackles numbers, but then once he does that, he's able to turn it into a meaningful play. And so I think that part of it is interesting. His EPA per attempt in 2021, you know, back with TCU, was one of the best that you've had in the last couple of seasons. But, you know, with him, you have size, you have personality, you have questions about I mean, even more than some of the guys we were talking about earlier. I mean, is he ever more than a committee back? I mean, that yeah, part, that's my concern with him, too. Yeah. I, I mean, he doesn't even necessarily like he wants to be more than a committee back, which <laughs> probably is the starting point to yeah. actually doing it. You have the guys like McBride and and Spears who were just so fantastic against a lower level of competition, especially McBride. They tend to pop in some of the the next gen algorithm stuff, and 
know, McBride, you have immense total rushing numbers. You have a plus 30% evasion rate, but you know, where's the health and, and what's the situation in terms of the competition? You know, you have Johnson with the fancy peripherals, but a lot of trap potential there. Sean Tucker is somebody who I think is interesting in part because it seems like there's still so much we don't really know. He's one of these guys who's not going to break a lot of tackles, so he has to be explosive. There are you know, reports from back in high school that he has this incredible athleticism. You know, he's posting information himself claiming this incredible athleticism, but he needs to be a run to daylight back. Is he somebody that you would, would have any interest in at all? He's someone interesting to me, but he seems like kind of uh, like I keep doing the arbitrage thing. I'm like, well, why would I take Sean Tucker when I can take Chase Brown? You know, and it's like, well, why would I, why would I take, uh, God, I just compared someone else to Chase Brown and that's, that's of my, it's of my mind. Um, but it's like the, you can just kind of keep doing it and going down because there's, oh, Evan Hall. Evan Hall's the arbitrage um, Chase Brown. So I'm like, I was going to take Sean Tucker and then I end up with Evan Hall, who's probably going undrafted. But I, I guess like Sean Tucker strikes me as the type of guy that we're normally interested in because he he was a backfield dominator rating star and he's going to come in, he's going to get drafted late and then he's going to be like a contingent, you know, Alexander Madison, Jamal Williams type of guy who comes in and takes over everything when he when he comes in. But instead, he started really expensive and like the NFL was going to be really into him. But the NFL doesn't seem that into him. Dane Brugler just had him. I think he's like his number 17 ranked back or something crazy. Um, and he hasn't been able to work out because of a, a medical red flag at the combine. Yeah, he's got him 17th in his rankings, which is, I think, a pretty major fifth to sixth round grade on Sean Tucker. So I guess like I've been kind of thrown on Sean Tucker because I think he is kind of what I thought he was at the beginning, but he's been priced like a very different back, like a back the NFL is excited about and is going to install as a lead back. But no, he's an undersized, probably second string running back who we're hoping is going to get Eno, an Eno Benjamin type of type of run or something. Um, and I just I so I've had a hard time drafting him at volume because he he just felt overpriced the entire way to me. Yeah, that's been the issue that I've had definitely at best ball where I would like to have some, but the price has never really seemed to reflect. It seems more like a price that I would have on it than a price that everybody else. Would right. Have. And Why I'm like making me pay what I actually feel. Don't make me pay what I feel. Right. It's like usually these players that I like are almost free. So, <laughs> right. So from that perspective, it's been a little bit tricky. I mean, Miller is the guy that I do end up getting. I mean, I've been getting quite a bit of the players with some injury flags who aren't Tucker because they have been falling. And I think that the group there where there's so much uncertainty, but they've done interesting things at the NFL level. I like to play those guys late. And I think that once we see where the guys are drafted, you're going to have some of the players rise, but you're also going to have sort of a middle where if you can hit the end of that middle or the end of some of the tiers that you build, you're going to be able to get running backs from this class at very palatable prices who still have quite a bit of upside. So from that perspective, I think it's fun. If you have a class that has a couple of stars and then, you know, maybe the next guy isn't that draftable, even into round two, which I, you know, would probably say here, 
But you can still then in round three talk about how wasting the picks on some of the other positions that late. I'm not saying that you have a, a great chance of hitting at running back either, but you can build some of that depth for those contingency based plays to where you know those players in deeper leagues are not going to be available on waivers. And so you want to have the backups across the league who could jump in right. there and any individual game could give you some fun. And I think that you do have a good chance of hitting in this class because there's just so many guys. I mean, every time I think someone gets valued the way I was, you know, thinking they probably should be, like a Bannikin is, you know, flying on boards right now. Well, Tank Bixby isn't, you know, Kendra Miller isn't, you know. So I then it's like, well, you guys are forgetting about this guy, Dray Mc, Dray Mc, uh, Dwayne McBride, uh, not Trey McBride. Dwayne McBride is now going at the very end of drafts, and I'm gonna have an article out uh, probably by the time this podcast is out that uh, will. Um, basically has him as the, as the cover boy and is saying he's, he's worth the risk at, at basically for free. So it's not, it's not a ton of risk you're taking on, but um, you know, I think his, his profile is really interesting. It's, I think it's a fun running back class. There's a lot of different guys we can bet on any closing thoughts just on uh, Devin aging because he's, I think a pretty interesting, you know, kind of, are you really in on the undersized backs? Cause if you're truly in on the undersized backs, you got to be in, be in on Devin aging. And I don't see Deuce Vaughn here anywhere, Sean. If you're if you like you say you watch these guys, you watch these guys, then Deuce Vaughn should probably be your your number one ranked guy. He's the most fun guy I've ever seen. Well, I think I've got to let Blair have him as <laughs> as his number one guy. Yeah, A Chain is one who's difficult for me because I want to like him so much, and I have to push back against my natural inclination to like the little guys. And when you're talking about down to 188, and so you know, say a little bit and. Um, you know, hopefully that gets to be you know 195, 200. But you're you're starting to look at the level where I mean, you need to almost be Chris Johnson to make a serious fantasy impact. And because the speed there is so high profile, you're not getting great prices on him at least right now. And so it might be a situation where you just kind of have to bide your time. But yeah. I mean, you mentioned the backfield dominator rating guy with 93% in this last year. He was caught 60 passes over those two years. I mean, we were averaging seven yards per carry in the SEC the previous season. Even if you're not breaking a lot of tackles, and that goes back to my point about how the running backs are going to create their value in different ways. Obviously, with a 188-pound guy who has 4.32 speed, you create it through your speed. That's pretty impressive. And so... I really like that. Obviously, his yard per route cratered in this last season, but he was asked to do a lot more. We know that he's been able to do it in the past. I mean, I'm in, but I'm just in. You know, if he goes to the right situation, it could be really in. One of the things that I think is is a concern and a frustration, even with Robinson and Gibbs, is that, I mean, you think back to some different points in time with some of these great receiving backs. You think about the concerns for Austin Eckler now. What if he goes to a team that doesn't really want to throw in the ball a ton and suddenly doesn't have fantasy value? Yeah. I mean, Gibbs could get killed on that, but even Saquon Barkley in his huge bounce back season, you're watching every game thinking throwing the ball. I mean, if Robinson goes to a team where that's not really the way that they want to use him, then he does get much closer to the quarterbacks someone who starts from a much lower point is even much more at risk of any sort of situational element to where if the team doesn't use him correctly, then the fantasy value evaporates. But Pat, I, I am, I'm dreaming on him. 
I like that. I like that take is let's let's uh let's bide our time until we get a good price because I think there will be a period where we do. Um and I think people have been probably wisely like banking someone on the draft position. I think mixing him in because it's like, look, he's probably gonna be a day we I think very likely a day two pick, probably a second round pick. Let's make sure we have some exposure pre-draft. I don't know. I feel like the market's been actually pretty sharp on him in a way that's frustrating. But I, so I agree with you. I, I wouldn't be loading up at these prices, but I could see myself loading up in the future. But I've teased the end of this podcast like four times and not actually ended. I am going to end it now. I'm going to end the podcast. Uh, we might get under two hours here if we end it quickly. Sean, tell the people about all the great stuff you guys got going on at Rotoviz. You got the, the draft guide. You have a ton of uh, rookie stuff on the way, it looks like, based on all these notes you sent over and best ball content flowing over at Rotoviz. It's just. Uh, the people got the people got to check it out. Tell them what they got going on. Well, thank you, Pat. We uh, are proud of the rookie guide. Put that together with Curtis, Dave, Blair, have their people jumping in on that as well. The third volume will come out after the NFL draft. So if you haven't purchased the first two, you still have a chance to get in on it there. I've been doing underdog content. Obviously, we've got great tools for both underdog and FFPC. Those have led to some big wins for the subscribers. I can't take credit for the tool parts. That was done by Mike Beers and some other fantastic coders. But that stuff has been incredible. We'll have lots of best ball workshops for you throughout the season on that. Obviously, with the SIS stuff that I mentioned, both you know once we get into the main part of the season, but as we go through the end of the draft and sort of post-draft here, you and I have some fun decisions to make in our league. Obviously, the post-draft NFL rookie draft content. I mean, is that the very best time of the year when we're actually out there making all those picks? I mean, you and I have four second round picks in our big league. It is very fun. You get the trades going. Uh, I am a little bit annoyed that Best Ball Mania launches that same week. Let us have, let us have the one dynasty week, please. <laughs> the best ball, best ball is taking over everything now. Just, just out of the kindness of your hearts, can you give us the first week of May? <laughs> we would love to just do our rookie drafts in peace, but no. We have to uh, we have to do best ball as well, uh, but yeah, it's a great it's a great time of year. I love I love rookie drafts. Everyone's engaged. Everyone's trading. It's the very best. Um, well, Sean, thank you so much. Uh, everyone, check out uh, legendaryupside.com. Uh, you you got all my stuff there. I have a mailbag pod coming out uh, that I'll be recording this week on best ball with uh, Liam Murphy and Kyle Dvorak. So look for that. Uh, if you want to submit last minute questions for that pod. Uh, sign up for Legendary Upside. Join the Discord. If you're already signed up, make sure you go to the uh, on the welcome section at the bottom of the site. There's information there. Um, on on there's the link for for the Discord, so you can jump in the Discord, submit your questions in there, and we'll be answering we'll be answering those on the mailbag pod. Uh, but Sean, thanks again. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you all very soon.